This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Just when consumers thought they had their 3G wireless gadgets all figured out, it's now time to start getting a grip on the fourth generation of wireless technology, which will be much faster and far more disruptive than anything we have experienced before, according to Scott Snyder in his recent Wharton School publishing book titled The New World of Wireless, How to Compete in the 4G Revolution. In an interview with Knowledge at Wharton, Snyder, who is president and COO of consulting firm Decision Strategies International, predicts 4G will revolutionize the way we work and play by creating one giant wireless ecosystem that buzzes with innovation. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, McCall. Let's start with a very basic question. Uh, Why have most organizations failed to capture the value or the full potential of today's wireless networks and devices? Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the the general barriers in corporations to see any emerging technology. So whether it was the Internet 10 to 15 years ago uh, or biotechnology, it takes a long time for large organizations that are entrenched in their current way of doing business to see a new emerging technology and then figure out how it will affect their market and their organization. I think wireless is a great example where if you asked uh, even AT&T, who was in the business back in the mid-80s, how big wireless might be, they might have said a million subscribers overall. Uh, and yet today it's almost $4 billion, actually over $4 billion. So I think it, it's one of those things that just happens behind the scenes, and uh, in particular the social, uh, socioeconomic signals are the ones we miss the most. Uh, And it usually takes some early adopters to show what can be done with it, whether it's a Federal Express or the military or even startups. Uh, And then large corporations start to see see the benefit. We'll come back to the early adopters in a minute. But before that, I wonder if you can help uh, our audience understand uh, a a simple uh, technical issue. Uh, In the title of your book, you refer to the 4G revolution. Uh, What exactly is 4G or the fourth generation of wireless, and how does it differ from previous generations like 3G? Yeah, it's a good question, and a lot of people are still scratching their heads. If I talk to my mother, uh, she's like, I'm just catching up with 3G, and you're writing about 4G, right? So we're a little bit ahead, but that's part of the book being provocative. Um, 4G is uh, a couple of things. One is it's a lot more speed, a lot higher speed. So um, think of your cable modem today at home is about anywhere from 1 to 10 megabits per second. That's how much data travels to your home. Uh, 4G is promising speeds of 100 megabits per second and more. And that's to your wireless device. So dramatic change in speed. Um, The other big change is think of it more like a cloud where many things will be able to interconnect across different types of networks. Whereas today, it's very hard if you're a Verizon subscriber uh, to, you know, use your phone on an AT&T network. You can't. But in the future, 4G will allow different devices to talk on different networks. Um, And then the third big thing I think that will happen below the surface but become very apparent is the connection of objects and things. So in the future, uh, a lot of people predict there'll be 7 billion people on the planet, but there'll be 7 trillion objects that will be connected. Most of these will be wireless. And so if you think of what kind of networks needed to connect all these things with all these people, uh, it's a different network than today. 
And so those are probably the big changes in 4G. And, I, and I'd say from a user behavior standpoint, it will shift more power to the user and less from the network providers. And that's kind of a disruptive effect. Well, that, that brings us to what I think is one of the key ideas in your book, uh, which is what you refer to as the digital swarm. Uh, can you explain to us what is the digital swarm? How will it change our lives as consumers? And how will it transform the way we do business? Thanks. It's a great question. Um, you know, I was looking for an analogy of what I saw happening, which was if you uh, if you put this cloud out there and you allow innovation to happen and people to organize around it, what what would really transpire? And, you know, I thought of the biological analogy of bees or birds. Really, um, they have these these almost natural communication mechanisms to organize and they fly in a formation and they're able to, you know, know what the objective is. And if you think of anything uh, that's been wirelessly enabled, whether it's the Obama campaign, where people were able to organize very quickly around different events and and objectives, um, to uh, things like the coordination of a supply chain, these are kind of swarms, right? So, so they're somewhat ad hoc. You've got distributed um, entities and and organize and uh, entities or people, and they're being organized by communication around a common goal. So, I thought the word swarm and digital swarm was very appropriate. Um, and I think what this paradigm shift is, uh, it really fights at the heart of classic organizations, right? So it, it tends to say, my organization's not this defined boundary. It's really a collection of distributed people. What are some of the emerging factors that are driving the digital swarm? So I think uh, one is going to be this technology platform that will really allow much more interconnectivity uh, across the planet and across organizations, which I think 4G will do. I think the second thing is the move away from wireline to wireless networks. So I think now that wireless can do the same at higher speeds that you could get on wireline, Uh, And I think the third thing is the intelligence built into our devices. So even the iPhone, at a simple level, the fact that the device knows if I'm texting or talking and it knows my location. So uh, the other day I I had an application. It knows if I'm in a high crime area and will actually put my phone on a threat alert so I can dial 911 immediately. And it does that without me even knowing it. So what I call cognitive or smart devices coupled with this cloud, um, will really create this much more intelligent um, backdrop where people can innovate and do more productive things. Your book develops some uh, scenarios for an unwired future uh, and examines their implications. Could you explain that to our audience? Yeah, I think anytime you're dealing with high uncertainty, it gets dangerous to make predictions. And I think we can point back to all kinds of things like the banking crisis for that. Very true. Um, So scenario planning represents a a nice construct, and we use that here at Wharton and and some of our work and and outside, to really deal with um, future markets and future environments that have a lot of uncertainty. And in this case, you can point to the behavior of consumers. I mean, the, the, uh, the iPhone app store didn't exist uh, two years ago, uh, we didn't have two billion text messages uh, flying across networks uh, five years ago. We didn't have peer-to-peer social networks. So just the things that have transpired in the last few, five years tell us we're not very good at predicting things. So I thought it was appropriate to paint some scenarios for how this might play out. 
that could bound where the future could end up and, and help decision makers and leaders think about, okay, what are the implications of the d- different scenarios for my organization, my market, my industry? What is the swarm effect and what are its implications for companies? So the swarm effect is uh, is leveraging these enablers I talked about before. So, you know, smart devices, uh, distributed uh, organizations, higher speeds, and this cloud of capability and figure out how you can leverage that to innovate new products and services. But the paradigm is going to shift. It's not uh, the classic develop a product and service and push it out to market. Um, the user will be very much part of this innovation process. And if they're not, you probably won't be able to to compete and succeed in this environment. So I think uh, there's some great examples of user-centric innovation already. Uh, I mentioned the iPhone App Store, but there's even examples uh, going on in other parts of the world where you have fishermen in India that can quickly, uh, on their cell phone, check the market price for their product before making the long trek to the market. And now cell phones are driving a more efficient market. Uh, And that's all driven by users. That was user-based innovation. Uh, You've developed an assessment tool called WIQ. Uh, Could you explain what the tool is and how companies can use it? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a kind of a cute name, YQ, uh, but the idea is really to get a sense of what the capacity or capability in the organization is to innovate with wireless. And I uh, I go through a number of dimensions, and those were developed by talking to uh, some of the leading edge companies, what I'd call the you know the early adopters, and looking at what characteristics made them successful. And then I actually went out and did a survey of executives to see where most companies mapped. And no surprise, uh, there was quite a gap. And some of those dimensions include wireless social networking, you know, how how much of your company is networked wirelessly and exchanges and shares information. Um, Do you have the latest technology? Do you have a network that interconnects your wireless and wireline networks so that your organization can even take advantage of 4G? Um, and then things like um, how distributed is your organization in terms of decision-making and authority? Uh, because that's really where you can take advantage of this swarm effect, right, to allow people at the edge to interact with consumers and vendors and partners and, and customers and, and really start to think about how you innovate. How can companies develop strategies to gain sustainable competitive advantage in this emerging wireless environment? I think um, the the overarching um, model they should be thinking about is how do I develop an ecosystem? So the ecosystem includes the players I just mentioned, your customers, your partners, your vendors, uh, even your employees. Think of that as one giant uh, wireless ecosystem instead of just the classical boundaries. And then within that ecosystem, uh, the really neat thing about wireless, much like the Internet, it gives you an opportunity to fail fast and cheap. So, you know, innovate new products and services, roll those out, test them, get get feedback with a small group of users at a local level or virtually, um, you know, incorporate that feedback and continue to iterate. Some of your products will fail, some will succeed. And as we've seen with the, uh, the iPhone model, you know, 1.6 billion downloads um, not all of those applications are going to succeed, so it's somewhat of a natural selection process, but, uh, but yet the cost of testing those is very small. 
So it might only cost a few thousand dollars to bring an application to market and test it with a small group. So this idea of being more nimble, which is hard for large companies, but creating this ecosystem and use that as your test bed. You referred earlier to the example of the fishermen using wireless. Uh, But are there any examples you could offer of companies that get the emerging wireless environment and are using it to generate business value? Absolutely. So uh, certainly, you know, some easy ones to point to are are companies like UPS and FedEx that have really embedded wireless in the way they do business. In fact, uh, you know, it drives huge efficiencies and economies and also advantage for them because it's really a living, breathing part of of their whole service structure. Um, There are really next generation examples happening all over. For instance, uh, Qualcomm just partnered with Scripps in San Diego to create uh, something called the uh, the West uh, Institute for healthcare and wireless. So it's a giant uh, real place to innovate with infrastructure around everything from wireless band-aids to in-body monitors around your heart or glucose um, to try new things. And I think that's what wireless is going to be about is bringing players that typically don't talk to each other and using this innovation platform, whether it's healthcare, energy, security, transportation, uh, to drive new uh, innovations. So. Uh, you also referred in uh, an earlier part of our conversation to the way the military is using it. Uh, can you explain that a little bit in detail? Yeah, so the military, um, by necessity, has to be an early adopter of wireless technology. So if you think of a, a squadron uh, patrolling the mountains of, of Afghanistan, they have a couple of issues. One is they're typically out there and, and untethered. Uh, from wireless wireline communications, so they have to use wireless to communicate. They might not know where each other is. Uh, they're constantly moving, so you've got objects moving in and in and away from each other. So they have to use some uh, very interesting technologies, uh, and they don't know what frequencies will be available, right? So they've developed something called software-defined radio, um, which today is very expensive in the military world, but someday could be very cheap for consumers, but it can find what frequencies are available wherever they are. It can actually determine how to communicate. It can figure out where all the people in your group are, and it can design a communication network on the fly, but it's all wireless. And some of those technologies, uh, you know, the typical Moore's Law curve will make their way down to a lower price point for consumers someday. And that's pretty exciting. Now, how, how is it possible that these organizations like UPS or FedEx or the military are able to use wireless in ways that others have not been able to? I mean, what, what special qualities do you need to succeed? I think in their case, the, the, the business value proposition, or in the case of the military, the benefit proposition was so great for wireless uh, that it was an obvious thing for them to do, and, and they saw it and they ran with it. I think in a lot of cases, um, the typical organization, whether you're a publishing company or whether you're a utility, sometimes it takes a jarring effect in the environment. So, for instance, utilities today 
um, most of their stuff is wireline infrastructure from the meter back to the, the control room. And it may take something like smart grid driven by the government and really a green conscious consumer that will jar the industry into saying, yeah, wireless is the right way to do these things, to connect all these meters up and communicate with consumers about their energy usage. Um, so sometimes you need a major disruption to come along and say there's a better way to do this. It's why I often look to the developing countries like India, China, even Africa, which has the largest mobile phone growth of any place in the world um, for innovations because they're, they're not burdened with the current infrastructure. They can start for, with, a, with a fresh uh, sheet of paper and say, what's the best way to do this? And sometimes, you know, we're a little bit anchored in our current business way of doing business. So if you were to pick, you know, a few industries where you could unleash a lot of value through wireless, if only these industries recognize the potential, where is the maximum value to be created? Uh, I, th I think there's probably three or four industries I would say. One is retail. Uh, I think the ability to change the retail experience for the consumer uh, by everything from knowing where they are in the store and having other pertinent information, whether it's their health profile and you're recommending certain types of dietary products uh, or, you know, what kind of home they have and knowing what products would be uh, appropriate for them. Uh, changing that whole virtual and physical shopping experience with wireless could be dramatic. Uh, I think the other one is transportation, the ability to, and, and we're already seeing it with um, devices in the navigation space where all of a sudden users become sensors. So it's not just pushing GPS information to a nav device. It's actually saying, you know what, all these drivers represent sensors. They're going at a certain speed. They can tell me what the traffic's like on that road. I can bring that back and use the power of the group uh, to make me smarter. So the idea of intelligent highways and intelligent routing to reduce everything from gas consumption to pollution to cars on the road. And then I think um, the, the other big ones to me are, are healthcare, which obviously we've heard plenty about the dramatic costs and the need for change. Wireless can be a huge enabler. If you look at the, the fact that hospitalization is probably 30% of healthcare cost, if we can drive the remote patient care and patient compliance and monitoring clinical trials with wireless devices, we could take huge costs out of the system. So uh, healthcare, and then my last one would be energy. Um, which, once again, is another national-level issue. And I think the ability to drive behavior change with the, the 4 billion wireless devices that are out there to allow consumers to engage in their own energy use could be dramatic. So lots of opportunity. You know, I'd like to come back to the concept of the swarm. I mean, one of the interesting questions about a swarm is who sets its direction, right? Uh, which brings me to how you set the leadership agenda for companies that want to succeed in the in the wireless world. Yeah, that that's a great question because it kind of gets back to organizational behavior and structures. And as I mentioned, this tugs at the very heart of classical organization design in that uh, as a leader in a swarm environment, you almost have to lead from the back, right? You, you have to accept the fact that uh, innovation will bubble up and even strategy will emerge from the organization and, and it will be less about top-down direction. 
Um, and if you can accept that, and I would argue Google's very much in that model today, that much of the innovation bubbles up from the organization and they're not sure, you know, they probably weren't sure they were going to be in the energy market four years ago, but it happened. Um, I think in a swarm like environment with wireless as a catalyst, you really have to accept the fact that, um, that a lot of the organization will be adaptive versus, you know, top-down command and control. And I think that's a big mindset shift that may be very difficult for a lot of organizations today. Uh, Scott, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.